Hola. Hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. Guy right here, only Jamie can pull off a tie and a suit on the Sunday, man. <laughs> Always on point, man. What's up, my brother? How What's up, doing? Charlie? I'm good, brother. Pleasure to be here, man. Hey, pleasure to have you. You know, so for those that don't know, Jamie is a really good friend of mine, you know, more like a brother. Yes, yes, um, yes. Also someone that I call to when I'm in a jam and I need some quick veteran advice for one of my <laughs> cases, right? And, um, here for you. Yeah, man. And also, you know, you've done so much as far as an attorney. You know, you not only are the owner and senior of your own law firm, but you as a former judge, right? Yeah. And, um, and a lot of people don't know, also a working actor. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably, maybe it's not so much of an extreme, right? Because if I'm on trial, I'm essentially performing in front of an audience. So Very true. It does, you know, compliment. They compliment each other to some extent. Yeah. But, um, but yes, yeah, true passion, true passion of mine. That's what's up, man. You know, that reminded me when I did a, a Bronx Defender uh, Trial Academy. It was about maybe three weeks when I first you know, got out of law school, the session where they were pretty much going over what to do at trial, they had professional actors come in and help us with closing arguments. Okay. You know, so yeah. I found that to be really interesting. And, and they themselves, they said exactly what you said, that, you know, being an attorney is, is also acting, you know, you know, there's also art uh, in the art of closing, also yep. in the art of opening, even yep. in, um, in voir dire, like that's also... You know, it's, it's true. Yeah. That's the first, you know, introduction to the jury panel. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And they, they look at everything. They're listening to everything. You know, you got to hit your punchlines if you think it's something really critical and important. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's really the same thing. It's really the same thing. And, you know, just like being on stage, you know, if you're into theater, there's no stop, cut, let's do it again. The camera is always rolling, so to speak. So mm -hmm. you got to hit the nail on the head every single time as much as possible. But yeah, it's interesting, interesting dynamic, brother. Do you miss trial? I do. I do miss trial. Um, you know, COVID, man, is just it has just completely changed the dynamics for all of us, of course. But I, I definitely miss being on trial. I much prefer to be on trial than to be you know, waiting in court for, for cases to be called or, you know, going to multiple courts and jurisdictions in a day. Right. I'm a guy, I love being on trial. Right. Uh, right. That's what I enjoy doing. So, yeah. I mean, when, when this passes, hopefully sooner than later, uh, I do have an upcoming trial that's scheduled. For, I think now we're looking at March right now. Uh, so it's a homicide trial, should be interesting. Do you think it's gonna go? I think it may. Well, it's in Florida, the state of Florida. So Florida um, do things differently out there. So. Yeah, everything's different in Florida. I've already been down there about about two months ago now for a, a bail hearing. But Florida is different. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the numbers are going to be like come March. Right. But um, I'm, I'm hoping it goes. I mean, my guy's incarcerated. Right. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's a serious thing. When they're, when they're not incarcerated, there's not as much pressure, obviously. 
Well, you know the deal. When when they're incarcerated, you get the family members pressuring you, hey, what's going on? And you know, the COVID dynamics, it's out of our control. I try to explain that to clients. Listen, there's really nothing I can do. I mean, maybe you can file a, a writ of habeas corpus or something like that, but those are really not that successful, statistically speaking. So Right. And just to be clear, the time <clears throat> on homicides, uh, you know, doesn't get charged. No. Right. No. Especially no. during now, during COVID, during the pandemic. Right. Everything right. And even, even on felonies and misdemeanors, you know, like here in New York, if the governor issues an executive order again and again, I think he's been extending it 30 days at a time. Right. You know, that's that's tolling the statute of limitations on things anyway. Right. So, uh, you know, the only positive for those uh, individuals that are incarcerated is that they're receiving credit for the time that they're serving. Right. So but that's really only relevant if you know they're going to take a plea. If right. they're going to take a plea, at least they get the credit. But if they're not, especially the ones that are. 100% maintaining their innocence, mm -hmm. these these men and women are sitting in jail indefinitely. Yeah. So yeah. it's a frustrating thing for them and their families. Right, right. So, you yeah. know, I guess the pro is for those that aren't in prison and um, because of the DA's offices here in New York, you know, because I, I only have experiences with the ones here in New York, Brooklyn, you know, in the Bronx, I see them uh, taking more of a consideration on jail alternatives since yeah. there are no trials. Uh, I do think that the misdemeanors, and I have to reread the, the statement or the proposal that the that the governor that the governor did. But I think misdemeanors are not told now, so they have to like produce uh, compliance uh, certificate of compliances for misdemeanors. Just last week, I was able to get five cases dismissed because the ADA had to concede on you know on the 3030 on the misdemeanors not being ready to go to trial on those right. misdemeanors. Right. So you know my clients are loving that, but. Like yeah. Said, well, the ones that are in prison, it's like. Right, right, right. Well, what's what's been helping us is that is the new law with respect to discovery. You know, now within 15 days from the day of the arraignment, they can't play games anymore. You know, they either have a case or they don't. Right. They do still find ways to try to extend the period. Uh, you know, to some extent, they're always going to have the leverage because if we're seeking really good dispositions for a client, for those who want to take a plea and not go to trial. Yeah. Um, what do we do? Sometimes we waive the time anyway. You know, to, to try to buy ourselves some time, review the case more, do investigation, whatever we need to do. So, but but it's interesting. It's really interesting these these um these dynamics now. Yeah. And, yeah. and Jamie, um, you're uh -huh. also not you know you're also doing other fields of law. You're just not doing criminal defense, right? You do some right. No. Yeah, I'm doing a, a ton of of civil rights uh, cases as well. So everything from police brutality, force arrest, wrongful imprisonment. Um, a lot of jail cases. I'm doing a ton of those. Obviously, they're so closely related to criminal defense. But in this day and age, uh, obviously, civil the civil rights movement is is at a high right now. So there are a lot more people who are much more aware of civil rights violations that have taken place. So uh, a lot of those cases continue to come in. Um, aside from that, Charlie, the office uh, we have the personal injury cases, accident cases and employment matters as well. So despite things uh, slowing down in the court, I'm sure you're, you're still getting up every morning, you know, yeah. getting your hours in, talking to Yeah, you. yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking about getting the hours in, Charlie, we were talking about how I switched up the plan, right? Now I get up, I try to get up at 4, 4.30, mm. uh, because I needed to find more time in my day to get things done. Everything from uh, meditating, praying, uh, working out. So. For me, I found that if I can get up four four thirty, um, I'm banging out maybe five hours by 
four or five hours by nine o'clock, which is when most people are starting their uh, day professionally speaking. So, and then that leaves time for me to work on the creative things that I want to do. So, uh, you know, whatever that may be. So, um, I, I do find it, it helps, definitely helps. But, but what time do you normally go to sleep in? Because like, doesn't that take time away from like hanging out with family, you know, late night shows? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm finding, bro, that the older I get, the, the later the kids are staying up because they're getting older as well. So, you know, now the kids we have here, you know, our son, he's now 18, going on 19. So he's a college boy already. He's essentially doing his own thing. Uh, and then we have the girls from from 13 to 10. So they're up still. COVID completely changed that. Yeah. Now the, the learning is remote. So the, those dynamics are different now. But they're typically up a little bit later. We try to get them to bed a little bit earlier. But for me to get up at 4 o'clock, 4.30, I need to be in bed by 10. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell the wife... Usually we head up at the same time. Our routine is we go, we're in bed at 10, we meditate together, and then we typically will fall asleep to the meditation okay. uh, that we're doing. Right. And I'll get up and, and I'll start my routine. I like coming into the home office here. It's nice and quiet. No one's bothering. And I'll just, you know, after I do my workout and meditation, I'll just, I'll start working on cases. And yeah. Yeah. I, I find that I can, I'm a lot more productive like that. Now there's something yeah. to waking up and feeling that you're taking advantage of a time that most people are not taking advantage of. I've been waking up very early to go to the gym. I've never used to do that. Uh, but I wake up at 6.30, 7 a.m. And, you know, I'm typically at the gym now at 7.45. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I knock out about an hour and a half. And by the time I get back, 9.30, I'm ready to go to work. Right. And, and right. I don't have to think about the gym right. the next morning. So right. that's what's right. up, man. That's what's well, up. you and I are similar in that respect. We, I think we prefer to work out in the morning. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Because for me, once my day gets started, you know, you start to get a little bit fatigued. You know, other responsibilities take over. And before you know it, it's late. And now you ask, oh, am I going to work out? Am I not going to work out? You know, and that, that typically happens. So, yeah, I agree. I like working out in the morning. Get in and get out. How, it's has, done. how has the pandemic affected you personally? It, it's hit home. I lost my grandfather in April. Um, that was, you know, even though he was he was older, um, he had dementia. But it's what, what was horrible about that was the, the manner in which he passed, man. I mean, you're talking about he was a Korean War veteran, a Purple Heart recipient. This was a, a strong military man that I had as a presence in my life, mm. always. And so... To see him go out like that, he was already in a home, so that was tough enough as it was. Um, but to see him go out like that, we couldn't go to the hospital. Uh, fortunately, we knew a nurse that happened to work at the same hospital, so she allowed us to see him on FaceTime. But by then, he really, his lucidity was in and out. Um, I'm not even sure if, if he knew it was us. It was sad. It was just sad. There was no no wake, no funeral. And, you know, so that was the closest it hit in terms of me losing a family member. But right. I started to, to know of other individuals more uh, removed from kind of like being an immediate family member who either passed away or came down with COVID. Yeah. Friends came down with COVID. You and I have talked about the dynamics. It just, 
I think it's impossible to say that COVID has not affected anyone. On some level, you've been affected, whether whether it's been a major inconvenience or you literally know someone who had COVID and in a worst case scenario, who passed from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the, the professional and financial aspect of it. You know, people like you and I, we hustle. We're, we're hustlers. So, you know, we, we depend on the economy to be moving um, in order to facilitate the production of funds right. with respect to what we do, right. uh, which why I always say it's important to not rely on just one source of income, right. whether it's, you know, two different businesses or three, four businesses or different areas of law. Uh, it's I, I never think it's it's the best thing to do in terms of focusing on just one source, because when things like this happen, uh, you're going to get crushed. Right. Right. You're gonna get crushed or at least greatly affected to some extent. Um, and and I'm, I'm very grateful, you know, that I had, you know, brothers like you, brothers like Damian Brown, who uh, helped me learn new areas of the law at a very early, uh, you know, time in my practice, right? You know, when I was just coming out of law school, like I was able to learn matrimonial law. I was able to learn some civil law, um, housing law, right? Because all of those issues affects you know, the many clients that we have in criminal defense. So, you know, they come to us with other problems as well. So uh, because I had that experience, I was able to pivot when uh, things started slowing down on, let's say, the criminal defense end. Courts were closed. And also because of the reform law, uh, things are a bit different now. So um, it's really about not getting pigeonholed uh, into one thing. And also even outside of the law, you know, I'm seeing a lot of friends more than ever before during this pandemic, you know, start to familiarize themselves with stocks and bonds, which is a beautiful thing to see, especially um, yep. black and brown yep. folks. Yep. I actually really? did the same thing. Good. Yeah, I, had, I really didn't pay attention to stock. You know, the stock market creates obviously some level of trepidation with respect to um, whether or not it's the smartest thing to do. It's risky, whether you're aggressive or not. Just making that decision, um, it, it requires a lot of thought you know, you don't want to be reckless when you go about doing it. But something like a pandemic and quarantine, usually you find yourself looking into other things and maybe not necessarily because you're saying, hey, look, is this going to make me money? But at least just out of curiosity, you may start exploring other avenues. And then maybe that will subsequently lead to uh, investing, which is what I started to do. So uh, it's interesting. It is interesting, interesting watching, you know, watching the market. Again, you also have to be yeah. smart in who you get your advice from because, you know, now with the internet, you know, so many people rely on everyone but the experts. And, and sometimes the experts get it wrong. But, yeah. but you know, one thing that I've learned is that people right. are always going to tell you when they're winning, right? When they're, when they're up. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they won't say when they're losing. So, um, you know, again, my condolences, because you you and I had spoken about your grandfather before. Um, Me personally, as as I told you, I haven't really had uh, anyone close to me pass away. Uh, I have had friends that have come down with the COVID, you know, either dealing with it or they've dealt with it uh, in a way where, you know, there wasn't a threat to, to, to life. Uh, I have some fraternity brothers that I I do know, I wouldn't call them close friends, uh, but that I've had both parents pass away. Um, Yeah, I had, you know, I had this one Mm. fraternity brother, his 35-year-old brother just passed away. 
Um, so it's like, you know, sometimes you, like, you want to take the lesson from things and say, okay, like, people, you know, older than 50 or 60 years old are passing away, and, and that doesn't make it any right, but you, like, you want to know, you want to feel that you have a grasp right. of, of, of the people that are highly getting affected right. so that you know how to move. And then when you hear a 35-year-old, uh, you know, young man uh, passing away, it's a shock. It's, yeah. a, sh- it's a shock to everyone, yeah. Because, you know, the older you are, the likelihood of death is way more imminent. So no one expects someone 35 years old to pass away. Even if it is from COVID, you you would hope that their immune system was strong enough. But, you know, this COVID thing, man, and, and now it's mutating from what I hear. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I'm hearing now, that it's mutating. So it's mutating and we haven't even been able to really address uh, the first <laughs> the first watching this thing unfold watching this insurrection, this overtaking of the capital. This, this was not something simple on a local level. Bro, we're talking about the capital. How? How does that even happen? And it, it, it frustrated me. It made me sad. It hurt me. It moved me on so many levels because on the one hand, I was, I was disgusted, right, to begin with. How could you not look at that and not be disgusted? And then, of course, what comes to mind is, well, look at the manner in which these people are being treated or not being treated. Bro, come on, Charlie. Floyd, Breonna, uh, you know, the list goes on and on in terms of how law enforcement has been known to handle what they're perceiving, perceiving as a threat. And when in many instances, there were no real credible threats. Real. Here you had real Credible threats, not just an apprehension of the threat. There was there were real credible threats, bro. And law enforcement essentially did what? They, I mean, that I, I didn't see any real force being used. Okay, I think I saw some some tear gas, but not by every law enforcement officer. Um, I saw footage of law enforcement officers standing and allowing many of these so-called protesters into the building. There was a complete failure of a political structure and of our security. Um, To me, it looked like that was a so-called inside job. I just don't believe for one second that that was at all possible unless they knew one, it was coming. And then secondly, they were specifically instructed, listen, right. just stand down to some extent. So before we go to the insider job, because I was disgraceful. You, right? And, you know, and that's evidenced by, you know, mm-hmm. the several or the, the two legislators that were also arrested, one for participating and the other one for actually leaving the West Wing and leaving that door open and someone with a Confederate flag walking in. You know, they have footage right. of that, right? But before we even get to that point, I just feel that we should not minimize the warning signals leading up to this. We could go back to the debate when President Trump pretty much told the Proud Boys to stand back. Stand down, like, right. You know, yep, I remember. Signal, you know, when, I remember. When from like months ago, Trump was already alleging fraud, that fraud was about to happen in the election. You knew that he was talking to mm-hmm. his constituents, to yeah. his base. And that no matter, as long as yep. he didn't win, they were always going to believe that the results were um, the result of a fraudulent election. So you knew that right. this was going to happen. Right. Right. 
also, you also know that many of his constituents come from red states where, where gun laws are very uh -huh. laxed. So you know then the threat Absolutely. of having armed protesters coming to Washington was, was really high. It was high. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's alarming yeah. Yeah. to me. There was such a, a breach of security in that way when everyone knew. Everyone knew what it was capable of. Like, there was a Facebook group that was called uh, Stop to Steal, which was created, you know, uh -huh. around the election time. And within a few days, they added 300,000 300, members to that Facebook platform. And uh -huh. most of the conversation was about revolution and civil war. So we're talking about a Facebook group right. that, that was just created. And within a few days, you get 300,000 followers. And the topics are civil war mm -hmm. and revolution. And you're not going to prepare yourself in Washington, D.C. for what's to come. Right. It's not likely that they did not know something was brewing. It's just not likely. It's, and it's scary to think that mm -hmm. that was even possible. I mean, I, I still feel like I'm you know, in shock and bro, I, and, to and some I think extent. The reason why we're in shock is because we felt that we were that we never had the right to do that. We felt that as soon as mm -hmm. police officers, and when I right. say we, I'm you know, speaking in general terms, but people that protest civil injustices, right? And, and especially in light of all the massive protesting this summertime. And, but right. there was always this fear factor that a lot of protesters had with police officers because they knew that not only mm -hmm. are police officers capable of being violent towards you, but they're also, they're not held accountable for their actions against you. So there's a lot going on, which makes you right. think about what's possible and what, what's not possible. The, you know, these folks just felt that this was their country. This was their country. The confidence mm -hmm. that they had was not lost on me. Right. And, and you know, the, to me, it seems, it seems, I mean, we've spoken about that, the lack of fear that they have. I always feel that, listen, unless people fear consequences, nothing ever changes. But when you put it in the context, when you, when you think about how the black and brown protesters have often been arrested for doing much less or nothing at all, you have to say to yourself, well, OK, double standard. You know, I, I, I get people telling me all the time, oh, listen, it's white privilege and so forth and so on. But even if we were to move beyond the comments and the labeling, we have to just ask ourselves what's right and what's wrong. You know what I mean? You don't have to be a, a Republican or Democrat or black, white, brown to know right from wrong. If we just focused on that, yeah, but what happened is wrong. Like, it's wrong. Going back, it's, going it's terrible. Back. Yeah. Even though that, that, that's just a general. We do know right. what the underlying yeah. issues know, but, are, though. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, you know, you should be as confident as the average white male? You know, meaning that you should hold yourself entitled to whatever goodness is out there, whatever you can get in this life. And, and you have to have that confidence uh, the same way the average white male has that confidence. I'll take, it, I'll take it even one step further, Charlie. Not only should you have as much confidence, but the belief, the thought, the ideology shouldn't even be a factor. That right. should be inherent, right? That should be an inherent or instinctive existence for us as human beings. The fact that we still have to have conversations about the differences 
with respect to how black, brown, Caucasian individuals are treated. That's the sad part about it. You know, we have to highlight what rights we have. What, yeah. Why do we have to do that? That That's when you know it's just this is just an, a continuation of, you know, what existed right. decades ago. It's just... It's just, if you want to say it's more conservative now, although I don't know. I mean, I thought it was more conservative pre-Trump, but now it's, on some levels, it seems pretty damn blatant uh, to me. And it's it's on a, on a very, very scary level. I, I mean, honestly, I fear I fear for this, this country, if you will, man. I fear for our communities. Mm-hmm. I, I fear for our children. Bro, it's, yeah, it's a scary thing, man. father really and your kids witness that. Seeing that on TV, what are you telling them? What are they asking? Bro, I just had, yeah, I just had this conversation with with my son. You know, Julian. You know, he's eighteen now. He'll be nineteen in March. And I tell him, as far as um, community relations and interactions with law enforcement, I tell him, son, your job, if you're ever stopped by a police officer, your job is to survive the encounter. And it's sad that I have to speak with him like that or tell him that, but it's the truth because I don't need him mouthing off. I don't need him giving an officer a reason to say that he had to act a certain way, even though we know many officers lie, not all, but many of them do. But I told my son, I said, your job is to survive the encounter. Be respectful, be polite, survive it. If we feel the officer did something wrong, you let me handle that as your father slash attorney, right. but just come home. Yeah. That's what I tell him. You know, the vehicles they say to serve and protect, how many of us really feel like that? How many of us feel we're being served and protected? No, the constitution says what? We're innocent until proven guilty. Do our clients feel that way? Or do we feel that they're, they're already guilty and we, even though it's not required, have to prove their innocence? Yeah. It's, it's terrible, it's terrible, bro, and you know, and we have the younger kids coming up now. Um, we live in a different, a different you know, day, Charlie. That, that's the reason why we feel as if we can't <clears throat> run up in the Capitol building and start destroying shit, right? Because mm-hmm. we have that uh, reasonable fear of the police. But here, this group of people didn't fear the police in the way that we did. Uh, and a large part of it is because, one, I, you know, I think some of them were actual police officers. Or at the very least held the same fears and biases uh, that some police officers also have. You know, journalists reported that many of these people who broke in or attacked police officers were actually wearing Blue Lives uh, apparel. You know, so it makes you think that maybe the Blue Lives flag was, it was never about law enforcement. It was always about, uh, you know, promoting an anti-Black agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it does make you think. Absolutely. I mean, people came from from different parts of the country, so this was this wasn't something that was a, a random act. This was planned. This was definitely planned, and it, it was a known thing. It was at least a known credible threat yeah. to a great extent. You know, I mean, when you when you're showing up and you're being almost escorted in by law enforcement officers, mm. they knew this was coming. So it, it was just it was just disgraceful. It was disgraceful. It's going to be interesting to see what happens now as far as how it's going to be handled politically, you know, impeachment or, or, or not. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, Biden's supposed to be sworn in on, I think, the 20th. So we're only 10 days away from that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see now how our Vice President Pence handles it. Obviously, a lot of people want him to invoke the 25th Amendment, which certainly would allow the bypassing of an impeachment process. I don't know if Pence is going to do it, though. Um, that's going to require him, not only him, though, plus a majority of the cabinet to to decide that this is something they want to do, which would be an unprecedented act. Um, you know, as you know, only two presidents have ever been impeached, Johnson and Clinton. Um, Nixon retired before he was impeached. So I don't know if Pence is going to go that route with only 10 days left in his presidency. Um, but yeah. Yeah, we'll you know, see. We'll is, see. It's a, you know, some would argue that it's a it's a good idea uh, because there's uh, consequences for being impeached as a president for the second time. I think you, you, know, you lose your pension. Oh, you, know, you lose security. Yeah. I think uh, you you lose your your traveling budget. I think they give you one million dollars a year like, for you to travel. Um, yep. You know the annual mm -hmm. salary. So this is you know this can be a very important decision that can, oh, and also, which is probably one of the more important ones when it comes to Trump, is that they're not allowed to run for pol for political office again. Yep. yep. And for him, someone who I think has demonstrated he, he enjoys entertaining, um, I don't really think he cares about uh, what anyone says. I mean, to, to hold the office of presidency you have to care about people in, in general. Um, I don't care what your political affiliation is. You just have to have that level of common sense, empathy, whatever you want to call it. But I think he's demonstrated over and over again, he really doesn't care. So I think like you said, Charlie, for someone like him who will be unable to hold any type of uh, political position, I think that would be huge. And you know what, if he's not able to do that, he's going to try to find another way Maybe he'll get back into entertainment. Maybe we'll see another round of The Apprentice. Who knows? The question is whether these, uh, these uh, cable outlets, networks are, are still even willing to work with him after this. You know, like, like he's turned right. off so many yeah. people, but also he, he has a, a cult-like support. So we just don't know. 33% of America believes that Biden should not be president because they felt that the elections were stolen. So... And that's, a, and that's a large percentage, considering there's, what, over 300 million Americans. Um, that's a very large, scary percentage of, of individuals. Yeah. So, yeah. but So, so but we'll going, back, going back to, you know, because there's so much to tackle when it comes to uh, censorship and Trump right now. Uh, you know, obviously Twitter just uh, permanently suspended his account. And we, we had other, uh, right. you know, accounts doing the same. Uh, you know, I think Instagram did that as well. Um, but but going back to just everything that we saw in the riot, and uh, you know, my boy Mike Muse, you know, said it best. He said that the storming of the Capitol is a result of good America not wanting to call them what they are, domestic terrorists. Law enforcement was unprepared because they chose to let their biases of who can be terrorists roam freely. So with this evidence, it's who that's are the point. thugs now? Yeah. Who are the real thugs now, right? That's on point, right. 
right, right. Because if there were, you know, black and brown individuals doing the same thing, there would have been a lot massacre. Would have been way more than five individuals dying. It would have been a, a complete massacre. And and that's what makes people so angry. You know, that was I was trying to process what my emotion was. And at first it's like, okay, it was country first. I was like, wow, like this doesn't look good for us as a country. But then I quickly went into like, wow, this says a lot about how this country treats people of color. Because there's no way we would have even thought about doing that. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I'm sure there's some black and brown brothers that are, you know, are like, whatever, like, let's do it. Let's take it over. But um, but yeah, it just right. sheds some light on that. And, and you know, we're talking about people that went in there with IEDs, you know, with weapons, you know, broke right. areas right. in the Capitol building yeah. that had access to weapons. You know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I haven't spoken with anyone that has come out and said, yes, I wanted something like that to happen. But from what I am, am receiving, the majority of people are saying, you know what, maybe there's something that can come out of what happened, which is and some type of a reverse awareness, if you will, of what we, you know, black and brown individuals have been saying for such a long time. Because what history has shown is that oftentimes, um, you know, if you want to say the political structure or, you know, uh, statistically speaking, white America, as they say, if you want to say they don't pay attention until they're personally affected, uh, that's what history has shown, right? Then all of a sudden, yeah. things start to change, statistically speaking. It's sad that that has to happen, but if there's anything good that can come out of that, maybe it'll be more of a, you see what we're talking about, type of awareness. Yeah, now you see, you know? it's like, um, the, like the, piercing of, the piercing of the veil, if you will. Like, now you know, mm-hmm, technology mm-hmm. has allowed us to pierce the veil of what you thought was in our heads. You know, like... This blatant racism, this this vicious uh, culture of white supremacy, and how it just devours communities of color. Um, you you like you were able mm-hmm. to see it firsthand uh, when it when it came home to roost, yeah. you know. And um, and you know I totally Absolutely. agree with you. And you know you hate to see it, but it's always it's always good where you can find a lesson to something that just occurred. Um, and I think that is the lesson, right? Yeah. But, you know, you know, yep. we're talking about, yep. you know, someone was arrested not too far from, from the location with 11 uh, Molotov cocktails, like dangerous, I heard, yeah. dangerous I heard. folks that wanted to blow shit up. You know? And I'm hearing, I'm hearing yep. there's more course, to come. Of course. What they say, I think, uh, I, what they say, I think the 17th, 17th and the 20th, right. which is inauguration, uh, you know, and I, I, I can't imagine they're not going to beef up security, but the question is, what's going to be the real motive? Is it just to create a presence or is it really to secure? <laughs> you know, it's like when the officers get arrested for police brutality and they, they get arrested and then there's a so-called indictment. We know they can be sham indictments. They're just doing it to, to really placate individuals with, without having a real desire to prosecute. So. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. What happened to the two legislators? Um, you know, there was a, a legislator from West Virginia, Derek Evans. Uh, he himself stupidly was posting himself in the riot, uh, standing outside with, right. you know, outside of the building with the Trumpers, and then going inside. 
you know, and then he tried to say that he was there right. on a journalistic, you know, level of like seeing what was happening. But, you know, he was obviously a right. ardent supporter well, I, of Trump. Yeah. And look, you can support whoever you want, but when you cross the line and, and you are on federal grounds um, committing a crime, because they all committed crimes, you're talking about trespass, burglary. Um, obviously, look, people died. People were murdered in, in, in some instances, um, if you want to call it that. I'm not saying amongst the protesters themselves, but um, there were multiple, multiple levels of crimes that took place here. So to answer your question, I think anyone who held some type of a political office who participated in that has absolutely no right to hold that office anymore. Because the same way we're saying that Pence can invoke the 25th Amendment because the belief is that Trump is incapable of carrying out his duties as a president. You can't tell me that these politicians are still capable of carrying out their duties as uh, more local politicians, if you will, and then go back to their respective jurisdictions and pretend as if they care about everyone, you know, as opposed to just their constituents. You can't have that. You can't have that. It has to top, you know, if it starts from the top, it has to trickle on through the entire uh, political structure because these same politicians, they may one day run for office at a higher level. So do we want that? Of course not. So I, I think this has to be investigated. Um, I think there's ample evidence to carry out arrests in this case. But the question is, is it going to happen? And do they want it to happen? So I'm hoping that the proper criminal investigation is gonna is going to take place. I mean, it was even. Did you see the the, the Brooklyn judge's son? Yeah, the Jewish down there? Uh, judge. Uh, I think he's a judge in civil right. court, Supreme Civil Court. Mm -hmm. He was out there talking records, right. giving his name. Right. These people didn't care, Charlie. They in camera. Some didn't have masks on. That tells you that the lack of respect for authority. They simply didn't care. Yes, you know, but, and again, like that other uh, legislator from, uh, I think it was from Oregon, uh, he was caught opening a side door and allowing folks to walk in. Uh, that's a forfeit of, of your of your position. Right. You, you should be done. Like, like There's you're no putting part. your colleagues' lives you in danger. Yeah. You yep. know, I would, I would like to think Absolutely. that the public perception is that this is the most seditious riot in modern American history. Uh, that took place in the hands of right. like white nationalist Trump supporters, not people of color, not Black right. Lives Matter activists. This was not a fight for life, a fight for power, nope. for choosing, for forcing right. a presidency. You know, and, but then you have Absolutely. these, you know, intellectual lightweights, if you will, you know, talking about that. Oh, Antifa was a part of this. You know, the far left was 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 involved in this and it's like come on like again you are right. with these conspiracy yeah. theories and i and i want to look at things objectively like if there if there is evidence of that then bring it out but you know i think we've gotten to a right. point where we can see when we allow these conspiracy theories to like go on unchecked this is what happens freaking riots is what happens we have a president who's the soldier and he couldn't accept defeat and so he wanted to create an uproar. Unfortunately, you have many individuals, as you said, who are out there who believe this man, who believe anything he says. And so here's where we are now. It's, it's tainting the transfer of power. Um, I'm hoping that 
on the 20th is going to be as smooth as it can possibly be. But I don't put anything past this this president, which I think is why Pence has not invoked the 25th Amendment. I think on some levels he's waiting to see if Trump does anything more crazy that compromises the safety and well-being of of Americans, essentially, because if, if he were to invoke that now and Trump does something even worse, then it's going to seem as if maybe it was too premature. Right. So I think he's falling back a little. I think he's waiting to see what's going to happen. I think he knows, listen, there's 10 days left. He's probably hoping that this thing can just ride out and it will all be a mood issue on some levels. The guy that was walking around with the fur hat and horns inside of Congress, <laughs> his name is Jake right, Angeli, right. Um, or known as Jake Angeli. His real name is Jacob Chansley. And he responded mm. to you know questions about whether Antifa or people from the left were there and, and they were the reasons why the riot, you know, turned violent. And um, he was quoted as mm-hmm. saying, there were no members of Antifa or any other left-wing organizations present in or around the Capitol building on January 6th. It was the Patriots doing what our founding fathers would have done. The reason he knew that was because Antifa are cowards who have no commitment to their country or their cause. Okay, so even even your 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 mascot is saying that this was all Trump supporters doing. But this is crazy. What right, is your right. opinion? Do you think that the 25th Amendment shouldn't be invoked? Here's the thing, that's there's 10 days left. So there's two questions that have there's two questions that have to be asked. One, whether or not the 25th Amendment is it warranted? If you invoke it, is it warranted? That's one. And and that's that's a simple threshold. Does he have the ability to carry out his duties as president of the United States? Was there some type of a breach of power, like an abuse of power or something to that extent? Yeah, I believe so. I believe there was. You can't sit back as a president of the United States and do nothing when there is a not more than a clear and present danger. There's actually crimes being carried out on a federal level and you do nothing, especially when you were the one that was facilitating and instigating. So I don't think he should be you know, in a position of power. But then you have to move on to phase two, which is, okay, is it in the best interest right now for us as a nation? I'm just thinking how Pence may be thinking now. Is it in America's best interest at this point with 10 days left to uh, invoke the 25th Amendment? Maybe, maybe just as out of a, more than a matter of principle, but because he actually breached his power, if you ask me, it probably is warranted. I just don't know if Pence is going to take it that far. I just, I really don't know. We know uh, impeachment is warranted, as warranted, I, I believe. But you know, there's a different process in terms of impeachment. You got to take it to the Judiciary Committee. Then eventually, it's going to go to the Senate, and so forth and so on. That's a whole nother process. I think the 25th Amendment, if Pence right now invokes that, okay. that's a different process. Would he be able to so, be impeached you know, after the fact that they started the process right now? Yeah, they started the process. Let's say the process took 20 days, but they started it now. Right. Would Trump still be impeached? Well, keep in mind, impeachment is is really a civil process. But it's the equivalent, right? It's the equivalent of like an indictment. So, you know, if if 
he's being in peace. Essentially, what the Judiciary Committee is saying is, hey, listen, we believe he did X, Y, and Z wrong. And then if it went as far as, look, if we're talking about going as far as the Senate is concerned, he's entitled to a trial. There would actually be a trial that would have to take place. And if there's, if the trial, at the trial, he can be found not guilty, so to speak. Um, now, I don't know. I, I've never seen it happen where it happened this late in, in the game, so to speak, with 10 days left. So, you know what? I mean, that's a good question, I mean, that's the, you know, that's to be the honest. That's great thing about, uh, you know, <clears throat> being able to do this. Can, can the president be impeached after his term? Let's see what it says here. Because I know Trump can dispute it. He's, if, if the 25th Amendment is invoked, Trump can dispute it with a letter, believe it or not. And then Congress has uh, four days to respond and determine whether or not they believe it's warranted. Um, the interesting thing is that I do know that Congress has to do that with a supermajority. So not just a majority. It has to be a supermajority, actually a two-thirds vote, in order to decide whether or not they should still move forward. It, it says um, here so, that the Constitution provides that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. But it says nothing about the timing of when the impeachment and trial may take place. So mm -hmm. that may be that may be a loophole that they can use since there's no time limit. Um, it says here, what if the misconduct is not discovered until after a president leaves office? There may be no practical means for holding him accountable for such conduct, especially if he's rewarded as having been immune from any criminal prosecution or inquiry while he was in office. Being president is not a safe harbor from political and legal accountability. Okay. Um, so apparently, yeah, there's no, obviously there's no precedent when it comes to this. There is no time limit where you can impeach a president, but the purpose of it is to remove them remove him from office. So it may be moot if he's already out of office. Um, but again, like there's many mm -hmm. things that can be consequential, such as the loss of pension, the loss of lifetime security. Right. I think all of that is important. And what's yep. really important, especially for those ardent supporters that want him to run again in 24, is right. you know his ineligibility to uh, be a public official in the future. And for most candidates or presidents, rather, I would say, you know, it's also um, the embarrassment of it. But I don't, he really doesn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? He doesn't care. You would think there'd be some level of pride, at least after an investigation was done as far as whether or not, you know, the election was rigged. Listen, just OK. I, can't, I dragged this out long enough. They proved that there was there was no fraud that took place. Let me let me go down with some dignity. No, not not him. That's a, that's a, that's yeah, another yeah. man, you know, more reasonable man. Right. You know, Jamie, you and I were attorneys and uh, unfortunately lawyers have had a role in, you know, in promoting this, this conspiracy theory induced public perception that we see now, right? You know, Giuliani has come on TV and said some outlandish shit, you know? So, yeah. you know, Trump had his other attorneys, uh, I think it was Mr. Wood and, and Miss Powell, uh, who were successful in like bringing things to light on a public level, right? You know, as, as, you know, as far as igniting fury online, but you know, their legal efforts right. when it came to to court amounted to nothing. 
All, all in vain. I, I, I mean, when you talk of Giuliani, obviously, you know, everyone knew him from, from his position in New York uh, as a mayor, but I think he's completely destroyed whatever uh, positive credibility he, he had when he was mayor uh, in New York. And I think, I think now on his, his platform now, as far as him being affiliated with Trump, I think he's enjoying, enjoying the, I don't even know if you want to call it fame, but maybe, maybe for him, maybe for him, right? But I think he's enjoying that. I don't really think he ultimately care, cares what happens. I think he, the, the, the fact that he's able to say, yes, I represent Trump, the president of the United States, I think that's, that's good enough for him. That's just my impression of how he handles himself. Sad because he you know? was regarded as someone, you know, highly capable when he was a uh, New York district attorney bringing down the mob and, and right. other individuals. But, um, you know, when they released the, the 200 pages of documents, right, that they felt was going to, like, just change public opinion, and all of it was debunked with conspiracy theories and, and you know, and mistypes, simple legal errors. Some of their motions were filed in the wrong court. Uh, it, it showed right. just the incompetence of the legal team surrounding Trump. And the accusations, right. you know, one of my favorite quotes comes from Charles Houston, uh, who was the uh, former dean of Howard uh, University Law School and also a mentor to Thurgood Marshall, which is a lawyer's either a social engineer or a parasite on society. And I think what we witnessed there was parasitic behavior Parasite. from his attorneys. Yeah. And, and then you have to wonder, you know, why would Trump want an attorney like that on his team? I don't think you and I are the only ones that feel Giuliani has displayed some level of mm -hmm. incompetence. You have to wonder why. And I think it's because an attorney like that is fitting. It's a match for... Trump's ego, his sense of narcissism. Um, I think it's fitting. He's appears to be the kind of individual that can be controlled by someone like Trump, who is really just a pawn. Hey, I'm going to move you here. This is what I want you to do. You know, Trump, if you go against him on any level, he's done with you. He's done with you. He, he can't appreciate uh, healthy and productive criticism. Yeah, so. you know, it's interesting. The uh, <clears throat> former... New Jersey governor, um, Christie, advocate for Trump. Yeah. And then towards mm -hmm. the last couple of months, he's been kind of like isolating himself. I, yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. I noticed that as well. I, I think it's because Trump's behavior is so outrageous that it, it causes individuals, even individuals who consider themselves uh, Republicans or supporters of Trump, it causes them to now think, you know what? Let me think about this. If if I continue to support this madman, as some will say, how may this affect me or my family? So, so, so that's the question. So is, is, you know, is it because of individual interest or collective interest that they kind of went back on their support? You know, you know, history is not going to be kind to those, uh, you know, supporters. Whether it's the um, you know the guys from Florida, Rubio, and you know. Mm -hmm. Who's the other guy from, you know, Mexican descent? Um, not Rubio. Um, he speaks like a cross. So objective <clears throat> to, you know, certifying, you know, the the, pre the uh, presidency results, the election results. Right. You know, I, I would think history is not going to treat them kind. 
um, for their support. You know, they were used. They allowed themselves to be used by Trump in any way he would. Right. Um, and, you know, and these men are highly influential Latino public officials, which saddens me. No, I definitely I definitely get what you're saying. And, you know, I don't even think we're saying that because you're Latino, that automatically means anything. We're not, we're, we're not saying that. What we are saying is that because you're Latino, you are in a position um, which is entirely different from our platform right now. So you have an opportunity to present things in a different light. You have an opportunity to make a difference, to facilitate change. And if you go one way, all we're asking is that you've already, you know, had some type of a fair analysis or approach and establish the reasons as to why you did it or did not do it. Don't just do it because you feel you need to support, you know, Trump, who is perhaps one of the most controversial presidents we've ever had. I, I can't think of a president that has created more polarizing dynamics in our communities, right? Whether you're talking about color, whether you're talking about uh, um, socioeconomic status, politics, I mean, what he's created, this polarization, I, I, I can't recall it ever being like that. Even if I did not necessarily support a particular Republican in the past, I don't remember saying I'm so disgusted with a candidate as a person, right? And that seems to be what a lot of people are, are agreeing with as well. Yeah, you know, as even with George Bush, you know, I just thought that he wasn't intelligent. And I think he was... Mm -hmm. Not to say that he was racist, but more like indifferent to, you know, communities that didn't look like the community that <clears throat> he came from. Um, you know, right. McCain, I felt, was a decent man. You know, he was conservative, you know, believer, a firm believer of meritocracy, which, you know, I don't think that exists in this country. Um, but again, I, th I thought he was a decent man. You know, and my thing is with Rubio, I can't believe I'm, I'm going, I'm drawing a blank on that other... I know I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of the same now. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna haunt me. So, I'm gonna have to but, look it you up. Know, the thing <laughs> is that like you said, there's a voice out there. You you know, you can represent the voice of many Latinos out there. And what are our issues? What what are the communities that we come from wanting at this time? You know, we want protection. Trump had crazy. I mean, you know, he was deporting people left and right. I get it. Obama was also doing the same, but not in the same speed. Obama had consideration. If, if, if you showed that you were working, you didn't have a criminal history, there was some wiggle area. But Trump was just deporting everyone, irrespective right. of whether you had right. family ties, community ties. And, and we're not even saying that there should not be some level of immigration reform. We're not, we're not saying that. We're, we're simply saying... Let's try to do it in the most humane fashion. That, that's what we're saying. You know, I, I was interviewed on, um, on protests that, that take place in New York and uh, New Jersey, uh, whether it's uh, like a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest or in that particular instance, it was they were protesting the uh, treatment of immigrants. And let me tell you, I was talking about the, the inhumane um, circumstances that these uh, individuals who are incarcerated in these immigrant detention facilities, Charlie, some of which don't even have a pending criminal case. And they've been there for one, two years. Why? Money. 
because ICE is paying these detention centers to house these individuals. You're talking about robbing people of their contact and communication from their family members, loved ones, friends for money, you know, not even facing serious crimes, crimes of moral turpitude, as we call them. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that that our own government is just engaging in actions like this. And it, it makes people feel um, helpless on, on many levels. And Charlie, we're talking about even you and I as attorneys, bro, out there hustling, trying to do everything we can to represent our community, right, as effectively and within the bounds of law as possible. And even you and I sometimes feel like, damn, when is this going to end? When is this going to change? What can we do that's different? I mean, you and I are working on some platforms right now trying to make a difference. And I'm honored and, and proud to be doing that with you. Uh, but, you know, that's us as attorneys. Uh, I can't imagine not even having at least a little bit of knowledge, some of the knowledge that we have. You know, you, you, I, you must ask yourself sometimes, what do I mean to individuals? You know, when you feel like you're treated less, like less than a human being, when you're treated like trash on some levels, man, uh, it's disheartening. It's disheartening. It really is. Here we are still in 2021, still talking about the same things. And in some instances, even worse. I've seen Biden, you know, being outspoken about how um, it was communities of color that really helped his, uh, his election. He said it in his opening speech. Uh, I think it was his acceptance speech. When you know that night when when he won, right, and and since then he's been he's been hiring, appointing people of color to many different types of uh, you know positions yeah. that, that, that yes. feel mm -hmm. speaks loudly into what he thinks America should be. I just hope that he continues to do so and continues to not only give them platforms but allow their voices to be heard um, because right. a lot of folks didn't feel heard in the last four years. He's, he's hired a, a Dominicana who's now the chief of staff for his wife, Jill. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're gonna be focusing mm -hmm. more on education. Um, but yeah, you have yeah. any opinions on his hirings? Yeah, I, I think it's, he's moving in the right direction. I think whatever positions there are, whether they're existing positions or positions that are, are being filled now, I think it should they should certainly be reflective of who we are as a nation. Um, I think there's no question that Kamala Harris um, is definitely having uh, some uh, creative and effective input with respect to his decision-making process. Um, I think that it's beneficial to us for him to have her as a, as a vice president. She certainly has set forth, certainly during her run, for uh, the presidency, she has set forth what what changes she believes need to be made. Now, we've seen in the past candidates talk about things and then, you know, you become president and not everything happens or maybe some of it happens or maybe none of it happens. But I'm hoping that collectively as a team, they're really going to carry out a lot of these promises that that have been made. But I do I do hope that we're heading in. I think we are. We're heading in, in the right direction. I think we do. I, you know, regardless of what, uh, whether she's vice president or president, she's a person of color that is 
the vice president of the United States of America. And she's in a, a great position to be able to uh, effectuate change. So, you know, what is, like, what do you think is going to be their, their, their call for action as soon as they, you know, they take office? Like, is it going to be, you know, countering these domestic terrorist organizations? Like, are they going to be aggressive with it? Because I think we need for that to be looked at and that be suppressed yes. on a very aggressive level. Because if not, then we're going to see some more casualties. Right. We're going to see more destruction. Yeah, I, I think now because of what happened a few days ago, I think they're going to be forced to work backwards now. So now, maybe before that occurred, they I, I'm inclined to believe they would have attacked more of the criminal justice reform, both on a local and national level. But now because our nation's so-called uh, security was apparently breached, I think they have no choice but to start there and then work backwards. So they'll address the national security measures with all the you know respective federal law enforcement entities. They'll address that and then they'll work backwards. Because now once you do that, you have to address the reasons as to why many of these organizations started to begin with. So you have to address you know, uh, criminal justice reform, uh, everything from bail reform to sentencing, uh, terms of imprisonment, things of that nature, police accountability. You have to really address all of that. So I think, I think they're going to have to be creative in terms of the structure that they're going to set forth. I think it's certainly doable. I think they just have to take it one day at a time it's a, it's a big job. It's it's the most important political position you could have, of course, you know, in, in this country. But I think it's durable. I, I, I think they're going to be more successful if they're better at listening to people. I have to, I think they have to have a very transparent uh, office. I think they have to be willing to not only listen to individuals, uh, but actually digest and dissect what's going on. They should be inviting, hey, listen, maybe bring organizations into, uh, you know, some of these meetings. Let's, let's discuss this more on a, on a personal level, as opposed to just, you know, looking at it from a general perspective. They have to be different. They can't do what everyone else has done. They have to be different. And I think that will increase their likelihood of, of, of success and facilitating right, change. Right. And you yeah. know, also there's an individual interest in that in that they have to protect themselves, right? You you know, you protect the nation, but you're also protecting yourself from any uh, violent attacks. Yeah. And, and they have Absolutely. to understand like why was there such a colossal failure, security failure for this to happen? And you know, what does that say about how safe I am as being president and vice president of this country, especially when I'm traveling, right. you know, in different states. Right. But yeah, so you know, as a as, as attorneys, I also wanted to, to talk to you about the First Amendment issue uh, with banning Trump from Twitter and other platforms. You know, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of folks are saying, "Oh, like this is just the beginning of of, of the end for us." Um, but you know, for those that don't know, Trump's uh, social media got suspended. Um, permanently for what they term to be hate speech, insightful speech mm -hmm. that caused, you know, the riot that we that, that, that we're talking about. As an attorney from ACLU, Kate Ruin, was quoted as saying, we understand the desire to permanent to permanently suspend him now, uh, but everyone should concern themselves 
when companies like Facebook and Twitter yield the unchecked power to remove people from platforms that have become indispensable for the speech of billions? I don't know. Here's my problem with that. We don't have a right to have a Facebook account or a Twitter account. That's not right. These are, these are businesses, essentially, that are allowing us to be members. So if they feel they're taking the right action and the right approach to um, not facilitate some type of a uh, pouring, you know, uh, you know uh, adding fuel to the, to the flame, if you will, uh, fire, but, you know, that's their right. That's their right. What we've seen from Trump so far is that he is incapable of uh, doing what we believe and what most people would believe is the right thing to sit back and take no action. So I think Twitter and Facebook and social media, they're saying, you know what, we have to do something. They feel clearly they have to stop what he's doing to whatever extent possible. So, you know, it's not as if, if, if you wanted to stand on the corner right now and you weren't breaking any laws and, and you were, you know, talking about what's been going on politically speaking, no one should be stopping you from doing that. But social media is, is a privileged platform. It's not a right. right. You know, just like driving is, is a privilege and it's not a right. So if, if for those who, who don't agree with it, look, you don't have to be on it. You don't have to be on it. But what's clear is that Trump's platform, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to travel through society way quicker than the regular individual who, you know, maybe has a, a few thousand followers and doesn't have the political power and platform that Trump has. So I can't really say I have a problem with, with, with what they did. Do I get the concerns about, you know, uh, um, restrictions on freedom of speech. I get it. I get it. But I, I don't think there's anything particularly um, wrong or with what they're doing right now. I don't think they've crossed the line. That's just my personal opinion. Um, some people may disagree, and I respect that. Yeah, but, yeah I think the, the connection <clears throat> that some people are trying to make as if Twitter or Instagram or Facebook is the same as the government in which they hold a specific power, you know, because some people cannot imagine a world without Facebook or Instagram. And the First Amendment restricts the government from providing, from discriminating or restricting, you know, freedom of speech. Now, they, uh -huh. there, there have been some regulations um, where private companies, specifically tech companies, can't regulate, you know, political speech, right? So um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. saying that they can't really sway to one client, you know, one politician or the other, that they should allow for some flexibility on that. Charlie, it's, it's, it's analogous to, uh, you know, Fox News versus another, another television mm -hmm. platform, right? How many of us have seen certain television platforms say one thing and then another channel was saying another thing? They, they report what they want and they, they do that because they can because legally they can, because it's, they're not part of the government. Right. And also, and also so, when you agree to get on Facebook yeah. or Instagram or Twitter, you know, you have to agree to the terms and conditions that they have for you, you know, yeah. as a prerequisite to get on. So if you don't, Absolutely. You know, if you violate those terms of the community, then they have every right to kick you off, you know? So it's just like, Absolutely. I'm not trying to minimize, you know, freedom of speech here. I'm just saying that, 
they have their own rules. And also, you know, in exercising, you know, responsibility, a responsible First Amendment practice, you know, they also have to make sure that they exclude conduct that incites violence, that incites terrorist acts. You know, of course. So in both ways, they have absolutely winning legal arguments in court. So, uh, no, I know uh, right. they're. Right. I think they're scheduling a hearing this Monday to tackle that issue, but I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so either. And and, and for those individuals that uh, are not in favor of of his social media accounts uh, being blocked or terminated, mm -hmm. I think. Let's just ask ourselves, for example, if, if you had an individual who was not the president of the United States, um, who posted something that uh, showed, for example, God forbid, a child being uh, kidnapped or something like that, Facebook or Instagram, they're going to not only are they going to block them, they're going to probably turn that information mm -hmm. over to the feds so that inf information or investigation could be conducted. Right. So you can't now say that because he's the president of the United States, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter should not block. You have to hold everyone to the same standard. If anything, those individuals, well, someone like the president should be held to a higher standard, if anything. So um, I think that, I think you're right. I agree with you. I, I don't think they're going to be successful. And if they are successful, that's going to open up a whole nother can. Um, I don't know what's going to happen at that point, but my gut tells me, no, they're not going to be successful. There's nothing illegal right. with what they've done. Now, hey, if one day the government decides to somehow take over social media, uh, then now that's that's different. Now it's an entity of the government. You know, it's a it's it's an arm of the government or extension of the government. And yes, in that instance, I think the the violations of of our First Amendment would be uh, at a, at a much more heightened level of concern. But we're not there, and I don't see that happening. Um, after the riot, you know, Trump's <clears throat> statement before the riot, you know, when he was encouraging people to go out there and fight, you know, and then I think Giuliani said something along the lines of uh, be prepared to fight, you know, with combat or something like that. I don't want to quote him, but he says something along <clears throat> those lines. Right? Mm -hmm, but now mm -hmm. Trump's statement after the riots was, was not aligned with his previous statement. What do you think his strategy is now? Right. Is he trying to run away from legal uh, investigation and its consequences? Well, first, I think that statement was too little, too late, right? And I, I think to answer your question directly, I do believe right now he knows that there are two options here. Pence invoking the 25th Amendment or the impeachment process starting right now. So I think maybe... He's saying to himself, he literally doesn't want to deal with that, with either one of those. And maybe if he offers some type of a statement, like the one he offered, maybe they'll back off a little bit. Me personally, if I was in a position to do that, maybe I wouldn't back off. I mean, why? Because he's offered this statement now after the fact, that. when you had an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and, right. And then. Right, and then he conceded. I think he spoke to some kind of a to transition of power. He said something along those lines as well. But it's a little too late. I, I never know what to expect from this guy, Charlie. It's too little, too late. Well, I think, I, well, personally for him, I think he's going to resume uh, his affairs as far as his businesses are concerned. You know, that's really right. what he has left. Um, 
I think all these threats that his uh, Trump Jr. has made and anyone else who's been a part of his family as far as individuals not supporting Trump, I think those are all in vain. I don't think anything's going to happen with that. Um, I, I, uh, politically speaking, it depends on whether Trump, I mean, or Pence decides to invoke the 25th or whether the impeachment process uh, commences. But keep in mind, we only have 10 days left. So there's, there's certainly not a lot of time for anything to happen. What I hope, honestly, I just hope these 10 days go by as fast as possible with as little drama as possible. Yeah. And let's just move on. You know, let's just move on because if not, then we're carrying on into, you know, deeper into 2021, still talking about Trump, you know, still putting out that energy out there. Let's just move on. Let's be done with this, this guy already. Let's move on. Let's focus on more positive things. Let's focus on change. Let's focus on the things that are meaningful and relevant right now. So many of those things addressing Trump are going to be a mood issue on some levels. You know, so, and you know. I agree. I, I do think that there is going to be a legal investigation. He's going to he's going to find himself in a legal jam after this. Um, it, it may come as a result of inciting a riot. Uh, it may come because of his financial uh, situation with the New York District Attorney's Office or the Southern District. So I think he's yeah. going to find himself in a jam with that. Um, and I think people, I think the media, they're going to go after him. Yeah, I do think that's a good point. I think the media will continue. I think because there are enough people that are outraged. We all are. I just don't want us to lose sight of so much we can gain with the new incoming presidency. I don't want us to be deterred and distracted by this nonsense. You know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be held accountable. I just don't want us to be distracted from moving in a more positive direction. Um, what do you think yeah. about, yeah. you know, our influence around the world, our standing mm. now? The world just saw mm. these lunatics run into our Capitol building. <laughs> looking like mascots. Right. Well, you... You started the uh, this segment off by by quoting, you know, who's who's yeah. who are the thugs now, Charlie? You know that when the marches were going on this summer and the protesting, we were considered thugs, criminals, all kinds of stuff. We were being called. Now, it's that wasn't the case this time. That wasn't the case. The color of the protest was entirely different and it wasn't just protesting there were federal crimes that were being committed so i'm i'm kind of you know you almost want to get the popcorn and just have some popcorn and sit back and and wait to see what's going to happen wait to see are there really going to be arrests and prosecutions i don't know i don't i don't think have you heard of any arrests yet? arrested like a dozen a dozen people yeah, I've seen the, the photos of many of the individuals were there, that were there, but did they say there was somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 people? Than that. More than that. So, more, more than that, right? So, everyone who stepped foot on those grounds, if you ask me, committed a crime. I thought I, thought I saw over, over 20,000, but let's see, because I don't want to misquote, because this was a, a huge thing. And you know what I, what I also, when I think about the international community, they saw not only... Uh, these lunatics walking around looking like mascots, but they, they saw people in army gear, you know, and yeah, army gear, yeah. masks, gas you know, masks, everything. The question, yeah. which begs the question, I knew it was, I knew coming. It was coming, but whether 
some of these people, some of these rioters were actually trained by the military. Mm. If, like if they were, like what, what are the, you know, what is the protocol? What is the eligibility requirements when being accepted into the military? Because I know, you know, if, if there is any evidence of, of you being involved in a gang, such as a blood or a crip, uh, they tend to exclude you. <clears throat> but does that run the same right, for anyone yeah. involved with the neo-Nazi organization or with the KKK organizations? Are they excluding them as well? That's assuming right. they even know about it. That's assuming that, you know what I mean, at the time of their enlistment. But I, I can only imagine that for those individuals who are either a member of law enforcement or in the military or maybe have a state or city job, I, I can only imagine that if upon a vigorous investigation, their affiliation, at least with respect to that date, is made very, very clear, I can only imagine that they would, that I uh, hope rather they're going to be arrested and prosecuted, yeah. probably even lose their jobs. I think they should. Because if you think about it, if if that were to happen, let's just say here in New York, what happens when an individual gets arrested? Even if the individual is 100% innocent, sometimes they're losing their jobs, they're losing their marriages, they're losing custody of their children. So why shouldn't these individuals you know, have to face the same severe type of consequences? Yeah. They should, they should. Just, just the same way we say police officers who engage in police brutality should, or who end up killing someone should, should forfeit the police officers, there were two police yeah. officers from Seattle that, <clears throat> that were at the riot. And, and right now, they're, I think they were placed on administration leave or administrative leave in Seattle. So, you know, there were, there were officers yeah. there. So it's just, you know, as far as this as a real, as a real coup, coup you know, coup d'etat. Um, because, you know, only in mm -hmm. coup d'etats you see people with military gear on. You know, like that's the difference between right. protesters and coup d'etat, like they tried to overthrow yeah. the government. Yeah, you're prepared. You know? and, you know, yeah. They thought yeah. they were going to be successful. Your mentality that going into that. Um, right. You know, right. I don't know right. if they were just fighting to, you know, convince the hearts and the minds of the general populace, their base, or simply the Republicans right. that were at the House <clears throat> standing against, uh, mm -hmm. you know, certifying Biden's victory. But the international right. world probably is like, what the fuck is going on out there, man? But think, but, but think about how much it didn't make sense when during the summertime, when people were marching for uh, whether it was a Black Lives Movement protest or some other type of organization, the marches were taking place for a reason. And that was to bring about change, positive change, uh, you know, reforming the entire criminal justice system. These people invaded the Capitol. Why? Did, did they think they were going to change election laws? Did they think, you know, people were suddenly going to say, no, we're not going to accept um, um, Biden as the new president and coming president of the United States? I mean, there was this was really, this was really done for no reason at all, other than to say we're pissed off. We're pissed off. And we're going to get away with doing it. More importantly, here I come in my army fatigue outfit with my gas mask on, showing a clear and present danger. And I know that you're still going to let me in to this and Capitol again, building. That goes to That's what a we problem. spoke about before, this privilege, right? This, this you know, confidence that they have <clears throat> that in their minds, this is their country. They get to pick the president. 
they own this place, you know? Right. Um, and they didn't right. worry about the police the way right. BLM did, you know? And, and, and right now, the world is seeing oh. that. And I think it's a, it's a major loss for white supremacy in this country. And hopefully that was the last hurrah. Hopefully. 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 Yeah. That, that's the operative sure. term right there, brother. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, hopefully. Bro, before we go, man, talk to me about what's next for you, brother, because I know you <clears> always have a lot going on. I'm always I'm always working on working on something something Charlie. Um, well, as you know, my other passion is is acting. I, I love I love acting. I love I love the arts, uh, whether it's uh, theater or film or, or television. You know, COVID has has changed a lot of that. The theater industry is shut down right now. Uh, that uh, you really don't see the uh, the production of, of films the way you used to, but. There are some things I'm working on right now that I'm over, you know me, Charlie, I'm always trying to find a way to work in the practice with pursuing passion. And I, I don't let it affect my practice, but we spoken before. I, I see nothing wrong with having your profession and being as creative as possible. I just, for me, I'm not one that can just do the same old routine all the time. You know, life is so short. I got to wake up feeling like I'm being productive, that I'm engaged in something that that makes me feel alive. Not, you know? That can be different um, depending but, on the month or the year. Okay. But it could be different. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, you know, like a lot of other individuals on a more personal note, you know, you know, I'm with the family and the kids in the home. I've done so many projects we've, we've gotten done. So we're looking forward to this summertime coming. Um, aside from that, I'm always working on uh, other income streams. I think that's imperative, bro. You know, you have to have different sources of income. So I think one thing that COVID has taught a lot of us um, or maybe expedited our level of awareness, if you will, is you, your, your game better be right when it comes to generating cash flow from different income streams. You have to, you have to, bro. You can't just sit back and, and feel, you know, complacent uh, with just one one area. So I'm always working on that. Um, and then also, as far as you know, we're working on some things together too. That that's good. You know, a platform that we're working on together. So I'm I'm proud Hopefully and happy it's about that. Some real change in Washington D.C. Yeah, man. And then you know, aside from that, just waiting to get these trials going. Just prepared to, to for, for this courtroom world as as we we knew it to mm -hmm. to reopen i don't know when that's going to happen uh the the virtual courtroom procedures is interesting you know it's different or, or, or attorneys but, are less assholeish on virtual because you're home like there's no reason why you need to be upset like you're <laughs> home you're relaxed you probably got your pajamas right. from your waist down so it's like I'm, I'm right, getting right, right. better vibes with my adversary. Like, do yeah. you feel the same way? Do you feel it's more contentious or less contentious? Yeah, I don't really see attorneys getting too uptight about things. I, it's a much more relaxed environment, if you will. You're right. People are either, you know, in home. I mean, the only thing I will say is that, and I think we may have spoken about this, some of these attorneys, they need, they need to remember you're still in front of a judge. I mean, I've seen male and female attorneys just dressed inappropriately. Their demeanor is, is completely inappropriate. And 
you can't lose sight of the level of professionalism that you still have to maintain. Let me ask you this: right? have, We're still have, have you ever done? Have you ever done a, a conference while you're be while you're driving? Not driving, but while you're in a car. I have, but I've always told the court that I was going to be in a vehicle. Like that would be at a time when maybe it wasn't a scheduled virtual appearance, and they needed me to make a quick appearance. I would say, you know, judge with all the respect, just to let you know, I'm not you know, in the home office right now. So my environment is going to be different. Please bear with me, but I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. I even had a virtual appearance one time. Uh, I think my wife had a doctor's appointment and I was, you know, helping her with that. And I was handling the virtual appearance at the same time. But I think uh, most judges understand that the the dynamics are just different. It's not going to be as if we're sitting in court. So there are other things we have to, you know, deal with, but for the most part, I, I try to make sure my environment is, is calm and and respectful as possible. But people have been in jogging suits, I've heard. That's why I have um, you, you know, because I've know. seen a lot of cars and I've, you know, actually I've only had one virtual appearance where I was driving somewhere, so I had to pull off to the side because it wasn't planned, it wasn't scheduled. Mm-hmm. But listen, I've seen some right. prosecutors just, you know, on their way to the gym, it seems. You know, doing cases. Yeah. You know, I remember there was also a judge. She was in her pajamas, late night arraignment. Her <laughs> legs were, were on her couch. And, wow. You know, as she was like, you know, setting bail on some defendants. I found that to be pretty interesting as well, man. Yeah. Remember, we, we have our clients that are produced and on a lot. You know, you still want them to feel like you're really, you're taking their case seriously. You, you can't be too casual. Can't be too casual. And, you know, you and I, we take pride in what we do. So that's yeah. important. There's a time and place for everything, exactly. as they say. You know, we're talking you know? about lives. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about civil transactions. Right. We're talking about lives here, and it's right. a serious matter. But, um, but yeah, right. brother, before right. before we right. leave, man, usually I ask my guests if uh, there are there is an individual or a few individuals that they feel have inspired them you know, as they've evolved as, as, as human beings, you know, whether living or dead, you have anyone that you can say, you know what, this person's life inspires me. Who, who would that be for you? Right. I definitely didn't have anyone on a, um, on a professional level, you know, meaning I didn't have someone who's an attorney already or someone who was an actor already. I didn't have anyone like that. Um, what I did have was, um, a, a solid relationship with my mom, uh, my grandparents, uh, you know, my dad was there as well. But, you know, sometimes you have a different relationship with one parent that you may have with another. Uh, my mom, there's no question, she was the one that was on me all the time in terms of the type of person she expected me to be, uh, you know, whether it was as a student or as a family member or just as a person overall in terms of how I treated other people and, and what she expected for me to become. She didn't say you had to, you had to become a lawyer or anything like that. She just wanted me to, to be the very best I could be at whatever I chose to be in life. And so I owe a lot of who I am today uh, to her. Uh, my grandparents, uh, they were solid roles in my life as well. You know, I grew up and you did as well during a time when you were raised by 
you know, not only your mom and or your dad, but your grandparents as well. My my grandparents, they wouldn't hesitate to smack the crap out of me in a heartbeat if I wasn't doing the right thing. And even some people in the neighborhood, you know, there were parents raising other kids, looking out for each other. I don't feel I don't really see neighborhoods like that anymore. It's just it's just different. You know, it's different. I talk to my kids about that all the time, about how they're missing out on that. You know, so many kids, instead of being outside and playing all day, now they're home on their phones or on their computers or whatever. It's just a different. But to answer your question, man, I didn't, I didn't have on a professional level. I didn't have that. Um, I was the first in my family for everything. I was the first one to graduate from college. The first one to obviously go on to law school. First one to have his own business. I can't think of anyone in my family that, that had that opportunity. Um, and I feel... I'm grateful for for being able to do that and being able to to you know have a practice now today and and have children that I can pass on knowledge and information to because that's what it's about right is right now it's not about me it's about how am I setting up the next generations to come so if I can do that right then then I'm I'm good and I feel like um, I've done I've done something something right um, but. Moving forward, or even today, um, I'm happy to have, you know, friends and colleagues like yourself. You know, I love you. You're my brother um, from another mother, as they say, right? Um, you know, we have we have a good team of, of people, and you know, Charlie, you know how important it is to to be around the right people and have people within your circle that are doing the right thing and who can handle criticism too. You know, you and I, we can pick up the phone and we can just talk. And, you know, if you call me and you needed something, I'm here for you. If you need advice, you know, I'm going to tell you, Charlie, you know, this is what I recommend. This is what I don't recommend. And you need that. At least now we're setting it up for the future. We're setting it up for the future so that now other people or people we're mentoring can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew someone. And, you know, I knew Jamie or I knew Charlie or I knew someone else. That's what we're doing now. So, we can just keep multiplying that, brother. And you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job, Charlie. I'm proud of you, brother. Keep doing it. I'm loving this platform for you. Thank you, and I agree with you in that um, it's very important for men like you and I to, to give back, you know, um, even if we didn't have those role models uh, growing up. I thank you, and I'm appreciative of you for always shining your light upon me, you know, whenever I was thank in you, the, you know, in the dark when it came to certain things in the profession, and even on a personal level, You've been a great friend, a brother to me, man. Always here for you, always here. Again, thanks for being here. Thanks for carving out the time. I know, you know, you're busy. You got your family. You know, um, you probably got the gym, you know, session about to happen right now. (laughs) As a matter of fact, All right, there we go. There we go. I'm I'm sure you got your sweats right underneath that. But um, I got to get, I do. I have one. I have one. I'm ready to go. I got the sneakers on. I got to get it in. (laughs) My brother, thank you so much, man. I love you. Thank you, bro. I love you too, bro. Be safe.